Well, we've talked about prayer now for a couple of weeks, and you may remember uh, the last last couple of weeks. We, the first week, we talked about the heart behind our prayers that that when we come to God, God wants us to have a humble heart, and He wants us to walk in dependence on Him. And then last week, we talked about this yearning, this this desire to want to know God, and and for some of us, we've had glimpses, experiences with that, and others of us. Our prayer life is pretty dry and dusty. And we said we need to be praying that God would give us this yearning, give us this desire to want to be in his presence, to want to know him more. Not just to want things from him, which is how we view prayer often, but to want to know him. Today, we have some fun. We're going to answer some of the questions that have been asked to me about prayer through these 20 or so years in ministry. Things that people have sat in my office or called me on the phone and said, hey, I've got this question about prayer. We're going to answer some of those questions today. Questions like, uh, does God always answer our prayers? Why does God sometimes say no to me? Questions like, is it ever okay to stop praying for someone or something? And as we work through those, I pray that God will begin to refine your prayer life and to make you a prayer warrior for him. In order to do that, I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. This will be our our springboard into those questions today. Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And if you'll notice, we were in Luke chapter 18 before, uh, beginning reading with verse 9. But we're going to pick up that first part of the passage Uh, today. Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin reading with verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you that he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? God, help us to understand this word and to apply it rightly. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus often told parables, told stories. And most of the time, he left the punchline or the main truth until the end of the story. It's a little different. On this one, he tells us up front what the main truth of the story is going to be. And this is what he said. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In other words, Jesus taught them about persistence in their prayer lives, that they should pray and not give up. Quit, not give up, not throw in the towel so quickly and easily. And I know some of us have done that before. We've 
prayed about something, but our prayers really weren't very persistent. They were kind of hit and miss, and we quickly threw in the towel. We might make a commitment, on, for instance, on a day like today, when we see something like we've seen, and, and we recognize that brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering for Jesus' name. And we may make a commitment that we are going to pray for them on a regular basis, and we start out doing very, very well, and then we kind of fizzle off. Or maybe at the beginning of the year, we make a commitment, God, I'm going to have a quiet time every single day. I'm going to get up a little bit early. I'm going to have this quiet time, or I'm going to stay up a little bit later after the kids have gone to bed, and I'm going to have this quiet time. I'm going to do it each and every day, and that works out pretty well through maybe a couple of weeks in January or maybe a couple of days in January, and then it begins to fade away. And so Jesus is teaching us about persistence in our prayer lives. It's pretty much the same thing that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Be continually in prayer. Now, having laid out the big truth, Jesus tells them this story, and it's a very odd story. Two characters in the story. First is a judge. This judge, and, and, and you'll, um, we have a magistrate in our midst. Judges nowadays, they have laws that they go by. They pretty much go by the law, and uh, they, they have authority over them to make sure they're doing what they ought to do. Well, judges in Jesus' time were a little bit different. They were kind of a, an authority to themselves, kind of like the Wild West judges that you might think of. They were, they were an authority unto themselves, and, and thus was this judge in the story. And we're told two things about him. First of all, that he didn't fear God, and secondly, they didn't care about people. Well, that, isn't that the kind of justice you want to go in front of if you've got a court case? Someone who doesn't fear God, doesn't care about people. No, no, not at all. And that's the whole point of the story. Jesus is painting this picture of this judge who's automatically going to be the enemy in the story. He's automatically going to be the bad guy, and he's setting him up. And his two criteria are he doesn't love God or doesn't, excuse me, he doesn't, uh, doesn't really respect God, doesn't fear God. And if he doesn't fear God, that means he, a little judge, never thinks he's going to have to appear before a big judge to give an account of his actions. He is unaccountable to God. If he doesn't believe God's there, he can do what he wants to. And that he doesn't care about people. Now I have to, you know, we, we go by laws, but there is some mercy that also finds itself into the court system. The whole point of the court system is not to give people the worst that they can possibly get. The whole point of the judicial system is they need to pay for their crime, but we're not out to, to squash them like bugs. There's no mercy. And, and sometimes judges provide some leniency in their verdicts so as not to give them everything that they should get. Well, this guy was not like that. He, he was a law unto himself. He could do what he wanted to do. Now, the other person in the story will quickly become the hero or heroine of the story. It's a widow. And again, if we think back to that time, women had very little rights. In fact, most of the time they were considered right along with man's property. Now, things have changed, and that's a great thing, but that's the way it was back then. And so women didn't have a lot of authority on their own. They didn't have a lot of respect from men. And if you're a widow, it's even worse. Because now you don't have a man to go stand in for you. You don't have someone to stand up for your rights. For instance, in a legal situation. And that's what this woman was in. It says she had an adversary. An adversary is someone who's opposed to you. 
Now, we, can, we don't know. Jesus didn't tell us what the particulars of, of that were. It could be that uh, she had some property that was in dispute and someone laid claim to it and wouldn't give it back to her. It may be that it was her lawyer who took you know, everything he could take from her. We don't know what it was. We just know that she had been denied justice and she had an adversary. In other words, a, she, she, she had a filing a complaint against someone who denied her justice. And so she goes before this judge, and this judge, he didn't care about her. She has nothing, there's nothing she can do for him. Oh, did I forget to mention that bribery was often acceptable. And so if you couldn't get justice the normal way, you could get it behind the scenes. If you had a little money, you grease the palm of the judge, you get the things done the way you wanted them done. Well, she had no money. She had no means in order to to make her appeal to this judge a little more uh, potent. And so she chooses the only means that she has, and that is persistence. She keeps coming. So you can imagine the judge says, okay, what's the next case? Well, um, it's it's this widow again. Oh, no, 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 no. Case dismissed. Let's move on to the next case. Day after day, here she comes, pleading her case, and the judge just kind of brushes her off, doesn't want anything to do with her. Now, when I picture this persistent widow, because I've known some persistent people in my life, and, and she's as persistent as this, she's probably waiting at the judge's house in the morning. Good morning, judge. Could I walk with you on the way to court this morning? And while we're going, let me tell you a little bit about my case. You know, he's trying to get her away, and finally he gets in, he slams the door. Oh, my goodness, she will never give up. And he goes out for lunch, and guess who's waiting at the door? Hi, Judge, fixed you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Thought we could go down to the park and talk a little bit about my case. Then after work, she's right there. Judge, let me walk with you home. I'd like to tell you a little bit about my case. And the judge gets together with his friends and says, this is going a little bit too far. This woman's about to wear me out. As a matter of fact, the word in your Bible may be translated, she's attacking me. In other words, I don't think she was physically assaulting him, but she was, she was literally pummeling him with her constant requests over and over and over and over and over again. Now, here's a question. What is Jesus' point in all this? Is his point that you and I need to bang on the gates of heaven demanding that God answer our prayers? Is the point that we need to bombard heaven, to bombard the throne room of God with our requests day and night, like lobbing missiles over into heaven? Is that what we're to do? Are we to be so persistent with God that we finally wear him out and he says, Okay, that's enough. Bonnie, I'll answer your prayers. Just go away. No. The point is not for us to think of God as the unjust judge. The point is us to see the persistence of the widow because God's not like that at all. God is not an unjust judge who doesn't care about us. God cares about us. If you are his child, God loves you. He cares about you. He hears your prayers. He grieves for your hurts. He's not an unjust, uncaring judge. In fact, it says that God will give them justice. God will hear their prayers. So God's not like this unjust judge. 
The point is persistence, that we continue to pray. We continue to come to God with, obviously, respect. We come to God with our requests. We lay our hearts out before Him consistently and persistently. If that's true, then it would do us good to answer some of those questions that I've been asked for 20 years. If God really does hear our prayers, and God's not like this unjust judge, then help me figure out how do I pray? When do I stop? What about God's yeses and no's? Well, let's begin there. The first question is this. Does God always answer our prayers? Does God always answer our prayers? And I'm going to give you the short, simple answer, yes. God does always answer our prayers, but He doesn't always answer them in the way we pray them. I'll give you two images to stick in your mind. One is a Coke machine. If you prefer Pepsi, you can image a Pepsi machine. It's fine. You go to the machine, you put in the appropriate amount, which used to be about 25 cents, and now I think it's about a dollar and a half. You put in the appropriate amount, you press the correct button, and then out comes, 99% of the time, the correct drink. And this is kind of how we think of prayer sometimes. If I just go to God, and I've done all the right things, and I push all the right buttons, then God's going to answer my prayer that way. The other image that you might have of prayer is more like a slot machine. Now, I know all of you are good Baptists, and you've never seen a slot machine, but let me tell you how it operates. A slot machine, you go ahead and put in the appropriate coinage, you pull the lever, and if the three images match on the screen, then you win the jackpot, right? And, and some of us think of prayer like that. If I, it's just kind of a it's kind of like winning the lottery. I'll just keep going to God and throwing stuff up, and occasionally he'll, he'll answer when all the numbers pop up right. Well, God is neither a Coke machine nor a slot machine. When we think about praying to God, we need to think it more, think of it more as a child coming to a parent. And when a child comes to a parent with a request, God can have, or a parent can have, and God can have one of three answers. The first answer is that God sometimes answers yes. God sometimes says, okay, yes. And a matter of fact, God delights in saying yes to us. Just like a parent delights when a child comes up and asks for something, a parent delights in being able to give it to them if it is at all possible. We delight in that. We delight in giving our kids gifts. We delight in being able to say yes. We don't want to say no. So God, God sometimes says yes. God also sometimes says no. He doesn't say yes all the time. Sometimes God says, no, I don't think so. That, that's not what you need. It's not good for you. It's just like we as parents. If I have a six-year-old comes up to me and goes, Dad, I want a chainsaw. I don't think so, son. You're not getting a chainsaw. That's just not in the cards. There are things that we tell our kids no about. And sometimes our kids understand it, and sometimes they don't. If they want ice cream and Twinkies for supper, odds are you're going to say no. If you give them ice cream and Twinkies for supper, then please adopt me. <laughs> there are times when we say no, and it's appropriate. And there are times that God says no, and it's appropriate. And then there's times that God said not now. Not now. It's not that I'm telling you no. I want to tell you yes, but the timing's not right. If your child at 13 comes and asks to drive the car, 
The answer is probably not yet. I'm not going to give you the keys. It's not that I don't want you to drive. I look forward to the day that you can drive. But not yet. The timing is not right. And there are times that God tells us, not yet. The timing's not right. Okay, so God can answer our questions, and He does answer our prayers in one of three ways, yes, no, or not yet. Now, let's think about that middle no, because we can deal with yes, and we can sometimes deal with not yet, although we are impatient people, but we don't like no. And sometimes God does say no, and we need to know why does God say no to us? Why does God say no sometimes to our prayers? And the Bible helps us with this. Let me share with you a a, a few truths and the scripture that goes along with them. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we pray for something that is outside God's will. We're praying for something that's outside the will of God, and therefore God says no. In 1 John 5, 14, we read, This is a confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We understand this as parents. If a child comes and asks us for something that we're willing to give, it's not a problem at all. But if a child comes and asks for something that's outside of our will, If Jay came up at age 16 and said, Dad, I want a subscription to Playboy. No, not happening. I know it's not good for you. That's not what you need. You may want it at this moment because you've heard your friends talking about it, but it is not what you need. And so I, I I see this happening over and over and over. I see people who keep praying for God's blessing in their lives, They're praying for God. God bless us. God bless us. God help us through this. God bless us. God bless us. And then I look into their lives, and it's not that I'm trying to be judgmental, but it's pretty apparent to anyone that they are living completely outside God's will. I mean totally outside God's will. It's not even in the same ballpark as God's will. And yet they're asking God to bless them. If you're completely living outside the will of God and you keep coming... And God blesses you for living outside the will of God. You don't have any motivation for getting yourself back in the will of God. And so there's sometimes that God tells us no, because what we're asked for is outside of his will for us. The second truth is this. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we pray with the wrong motives. Our heart isn't right. In James chapter 5, we, 4, excuse me, we read, When you ask and you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. In other words, you can go and ask for things that are completely self, selfish, completely self-centered. God, I want a new Maserati. God, I want the house on the hill. God, I want this. God, I want that. And your motives are completely selfish. And God says, no. I'm not giving you that. It's not what you need. It's not the best thing for you. It may be what you want, but it's not what you need. The third truth is this. Sometimes our prayers aren't answered because we're living outside the will of God. And I mentioned that a few moments ago. 1 Peter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When we go to God and we continue to ask, but we live our lives outside His will, God's going to say, No, 
God's going to say no. So there are reasons that God says no to us. Third question. When can I stop praying for something or someone? Have you ever gotten to that point where your prayers, you begin to stop praying for that, and then you, you feel guilty because I'm not praying for that anymore? Is it ever okay, and we're talking about persistence in prayer, is it ever okay to quit? And I'd like to suggest to you that, yes, there is a time where you can stop praying for something. You can stop praying when God answers the prayer with a yes or a no. I mean, it'd be kind of silly if your child's asking you for a bicycle and you get them a bicycle and they keep asking for a bicycle. If the prayer's answered, it's answered. Or can you imagine how your kids feel if you come up and they ask for a bicycle and you say no and they keep asking for a bicycle, which seems kind of familiar, doesn't it? Children have a tendency to do that. They're trying to wear you down like the judge. But if you know that God has said no, then stop. God is not the unjust judge. God is not out there trying to squash you. God is not out there trying to brush you aside. God has your best interest at heart. And so if God has said no, don't, don't keep going and asking. It's appropriate then to say no. I'm, stop, I'm not praying for that any longer. A second reason it's appropriate to stop praying is that you can stop praying if the circumstances change so that your prayer is no longer valid. If you're praying for the health of someone and they die, you can stop praying for them. I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but I've heard people continue to pray. If the circumstances change, then you can, you can discontinue that prayer. It's no longer a valid prayer. These, are, these all seem pretty obvious, so that's just telling you that it's not that complicated. Third, you can stop praying if you realize that you're praying for something outside God's will. If God makes it apparent to you through his word, through your prayer life, through the counsel of godly uh, uh, advocates around you, that this is something outside God's will for your life, then you can cease praying for that. And, and the final reason is this. This is the hardest one. You can stop praying if the Lord lifts the burden from you. Most of the time, we begin to pray because we're burdened about something. For instance, what we saw on the screen. Let me give you one example, and this is a personal example. Back when I was pastor at First Baptist, we took a mission trip to Provo, Utah. Some of you went on that mission trip to Provo, Utah. It was, a, it was an interesting, challenging, life-changing kind of experience. We went on that mission trip, and... It, you need to realize Provo is, is probably 98, 99% Mormon. I mean, it is more Mormon than Salt Lake City. Uh, Brigham Young University is there. You know, everywhere you turn, you're bumping into a Mormon. I mean, that's just the way it is. And so we went, and we were sharing Christ with them and trying to help this little church called First Baptist Church in Provo. And when you think of First Baptist Church, you kind of think of the big Main Street type church. First Baptist wasn't anything like that. First Baptist was a, uh, almost an enclave for Baptists in Provo. It was kind of a, a retreat from all this. You know, I'm surrounded by Mormons. Whew, let me go on Sunday. Let me go on Wednesday and, and kind of gather. Now, it wasn't that they weren't worshiping. It wasn't that they, they weren't doing the best that they could to make an impact for Christ. But I'm just telling you what it seemed like. Uh, the, the, the life, the vitality that you'd want to find in a congregation didn't really feel like it was all there. And again, I don't, if I'm being judgmental, forgive me for that. But that's, that was my sense. 
And so when we came back from that mission trip, I began to get this burden on my heart for Provo, Utah, and this, this thought that maybe God wanted me to go to Provo to start a new church, a, a church that was designed to meet some of these young adults and young families who lived there, and there were a lot of them, to do church in a little bit different way, to get their attention and draw them in and share Christ with them, the reality of who Jesus is. And it began to be, to be an increasing burden on me. Now, I didn't share this with anybody because I didn't want somebody coming up and going, yeah, pastor, I think you ought to do that. You know, you, you don't, don't stick it out there. And so I began to pray about this thing. And I, I'd made some contacts out west. And I, I finally I sent for a packet of materials to the Orem Provo Chamber of Commerce. I sent for a packet of materials on it. And I got to tell you, Provo is the last place I want to go, folks. We passed, uh, Gene Bradley will tell you, where are you, Gene? Where's Gene? Oh, Gene. Gene Bradley will tell you, we went by this, uh, we went over this bridge and had a sign that said Jordan River. And Gene said, if that's the Jordan River, you have to lay somebody down in them and roll them over. I mean, it was dry and hot. That was not a place I wanted to go, but I just had this burden. And so I sent off this packet of materials, and guess what? Nancy gets it before I do. She begins to ask me, what's this about? So finally I said, okay, i got to say it. Maybe God's leading us to go to Provo and start a new church. And my godly wife looks at me and says, no. She didn't want to go to Provo. She didn't want to uproot our family and move all the way out there. And I can certainly understand it. She hadn't even been out there. If she'd have been out there, it would have been an absolutely no. Because nothing like anything we were used to. But we began to pray about it. And finally she came to me and she said, you know, if the Lord's leading us out there, then I will follow you out there. So God had one of us. I continued to pray for a couple of weeks. And I finally, during one of my quiet times, said, okay, God, if that's where you want me to go and that's what you want me to do, then I'll do it. And immediately, God lifted the burden from me because the point was not to get me to Provo, Utah. The point for God was to get me to the point of surrender. And then we started Grace Fellowship. Until I got to the point of surrender where I was willing to go where anywhere God wanted me to go and do anything God wanted me to do, I wasn't ready to start Grace Fellowship. And so when you sometimes get to a point in your life where you're praying about something and God lifts that burden from you, then you can stop praying for it. There is a time when you can stop praying. Otherwise, God wants us to persist in our prayers. Now, two more questions try to move through this very quickly is my persistent praying about a matter an exercise of faith or evidence that i lack faith there are two schools of thought one is this that if i pray for something i need to believe god's done it and i need to thank him for it and never have to pray for it again that's one school of thought there's another school of thought that says no god says that we're to pray persistently for something and we're going to continue to pray for that until god has brought it to pass pastor which is the right answer And I want to tell you unequivocally both of them. It's a matter of faith. If God is confirmed to you, and sometimes God will do this. If you're praying and you're praying for a matter and God says, okay, I'll do it. 
then you can begin at that point to say, okay, God, I'm going to thank you for it. But there are other times where God doesn't confirm that and you continue to come to God until one of these other things happens and God moves it off your radar screen. And so both could be, it's a matter of faith. And I want to give you some questions. These aren't on your sheet. You may want to write these down. As you're praying and you'd like to know, hey, is, is this a prayer of faith, real faith? Let me give you four questions that you can ask. The first is, do you believe God hears your prayers? Do you believe God hears your prayers. If you don't believe God is listening to you when you pray, then it's not a prayer of faith. The second question, do you believe God answers prayers? Okay, now we're getting to the fact of uh, the character of God. Do I believe God hears prayers, first of all? Okay, I believe God hears them. Do I believe God answers prayers? Or is this some just you know, vain exercise of talking to the ceiling? Third question, Do you believe God knows best how to answer your prayers? Now we're getting into deep water. Okay, I believe God hears. I believe God answers. But do I trust him to know best how to answer my prayers? Or do I think I know best? And the final question is this. Do you believe that God's motivation is for his glory and for your good? These all have to do with your understanding of the character of God. Do you believe that God's motivation is for his glory and for your good? In other words, do you believe Romans eight forty eight That God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? It's a matter of faith. And when you pray these kinds of prayers of faith, there are times when God says, done. And you can begin to thank him for it. And there are times when God doesn't say, okay, it's done. And you can begin to consistently and persistently pray. You see, the parable of the persistent widow teaches us to pray persistently for something that's within God's will, until he answers the prayer, until the issue is resolved, until he lifts the burden from us. These are valid reasons to, at that point, stop praying. Other than that, we are to pray without ceasing. Now, Jesus finished his prayer with a question. Don't you just hate it when people end their, end their statements with a question? And the question is this. When the Son of Man comes, when Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth when jesus returns will he find faith on the earth will he find people who are trusting him in their prayer life will he find men and women who live each day trusting him in their lives will he find men and women who are faithfully serving god as they trust the leadership of the holy spirit Will he find faith on the earth or will he find empty religion, spiritual slogans, and faithless prayers? What will he find? Men and women of faith or men and women who go through the motions 